Well, amen. So, so good to gather. I uh, really appreciate it to the good crew that we had last week. Uh, we started our new member Sunday school class. I'm so thankful again for all those who happen to begin in attendance for that um, uh, first lesson. If that's something that still interests you, uh, please see me. And again, you can join our class at the end again of uh, our worship service together. But uh, one of the things I really enjoy about the book of Acts is, you know, how surprising and shocking again it happens to be. And as you look at Acts chapter 5, it's, uh, it's amazing how much information happens to be again right in here. We've seen so much and uh, as, we go th- as we go through this chapter, and we're not even halfway through, uh, we saw as we started going through this, the supernatural judgment of God on this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, because of their hypocritical giving. And we are brought face to face with the seriousness again of sin. We see the apostles' um, um, ministry, how they were doing all of these miracles, all of these signs, all of these wonders. Everyone with a malady, whether it happened to be even an unclean spirit, they, they were all healed of these things. And that led to the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see, again, myriads and myriads coming to a saving knowledge of uh, Jesus Christ. And one of the things I really enjoy about the book of Acts is it brings down what is the purpose of the church. It shows us not only the purpose of the church, how we're to be functioning. Uh, We we could say the purpose of the church is the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of God, and we'd be absolutely right. But we also recognize that there is a particular message that we're giving, a particular message that we're preaching you know, and I wonder, because a lot of people always come to the church, there many times will come to the church, or many times even phone the office, when they're going through difficulties, when they're going through trials in their life, when life, again, has taken a turn that they never thought would take, and many times they're looking for help. But I wonder if that help that they are looking for, if we give them the same message that we find in the book of Acts, if, we, if, if it happens to be the same gospel, if it lines up with that. You know, one of the things that we have to be really careful, for, careful of in all of that is that when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is heralded, there's always a response to it. You know, in the passage we come to this morning, I think is again one of the most surprising uh, responses that we have in the book of Acts to the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just because it's a rejection, but it's what kind of rejection. You know, I can almost understand verse number 13, because in verse number 13, it says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You know, and you can almost understand that kind of uh, a response. You hear, the, hear these two individuals, and they drop dead because they're hiding sin that happens to begin in their life. And here's this larger group of people that are hearing the message. Maybe even that we witnessed some of the signs, some of the wonders that were done by the apostles' uh, uh, hand. And they know God is present, but they do not want to give up their sin. So here it is, they separate, they dare not join them, they dare not go in this group. And why? Because they don't want their sin exposed. They don't want to give up their sin. You know, and that's the reason. It's dangerous to be around these individuals, but they held them in high esteem. You know, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that these individuals were from God. I mean, who could ever deny that God was not in that place doing these signs, doing these wonders? They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was the Christ, but they just didn't want anything to do with him. You know, and we realize when the stunning light of God comes, there's, a, there's always a response. And the darker the area, the darker our lives, the darker our society the more stunning the light of the Lord Jesus Christ happens to be. You know, and there's always a response that happens to be again of that. You know, whether it happens to be again a response of uh, 
Ananias and Sapphira, whether Adam's beginning, other responses. And one of the things I really love about the book of Acts is the book of Acts is history, isn't it? And it's not sanctified history. And what I mean by that is you take all the ugly stuff away. You know, and so when you look at the preaching of the gospel, you have the good, the bad, and the ugly, don't you? You have the good because of this. Many people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They turn from their wicked ways. They bow the knee to Jesus Christ. They follow him no matter what, whatever might come, you know, in their lives. He is Lord. He is Savior. And they follow him. And we have the bad, and we just read about the bad. You know, they don't want anything to do with Christ. They're going to stay away from them. They're going to stay away from that message. They're going to stay away from those followers. But you also have the ugly. And that's where we come to in verse number 17 this morning, the really ugliness, you know, of uh, defiance against God. You know, and, and, and I love this about the book of Acts because it really prepares us to recognize the world that we live in and recognize what unbelief looks like. I mean, a lot of times when we're here, we preach and we say, what does true belief in Jesus Christ looks like? And this, these are the signs of true belief. These, these are the signs where this is what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, when we come to this section, it shows us again what unbelief looks like. And I think it's really good for us. It's really good for us to recognize this, you know, for a number of reasons. One is, again, we can expect this. We can expect hostility. We can expect anger. We can expect defiance from the world that happens to be again around us. And it prepares us, right? We go into this world. We're commanded to preach the gospel. It's our commission to go out into this world to make disciples for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it prepares our heart. There are going to be people who respond like this. There's nothing deficient in the message, right? There's no default that happens to be in the message. You know, I just must not have explained it right, because look at how angry, look at how frustrated they are in Jesus Christ. We realize that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I think it's also very helpful for us. Because any time we choose sin over Jesus, it's basically unbelief in Jesus. And this is really what it looks like in our lives. So I want us to look at that. You know, I want us to prepare our hearts. You know, we were, we we're having a more secular society that, that we're living in. And as that society drifts more and more into secularism, there's a greater hatred towards the gospel message. There's a greater hatred towards those who want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And understanding of this will always give us, again, the right response of patience, of love, of continuing in that message and continuing to preach that message. So I want us to really look at the problem of unbelief. And let's just read verses 17 and 18 again as we think again of these truths. Because this, uh, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. You know, and I think uh, when, when Jesus is preached, when one of the great frustrations that happened at the beginning of life, in fact, we find this even as believers in the Lord Jesus, uh, that you can't put Jesus in a box. You know, you can't figure them out. You can't, again, truly comprehend them to the nth degree. You know, and, 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 and it's amazing to look at. It's amazing to study the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Books and books and books and books and books and volumes and volumes, probably millions and millions and millions of various different books have been written on the life of the Lord Jesus, and they still haven't exhausted the, the uh, subject. And yet, when you look at the arrogance of the world that we live in, many people will say this, the reason why I cannot follow Jesus, the reason why I cannot accept Jesus is intellectual. 
You know, uh, we just live in a day and age where we don't believe in superstition anymore. That was the ancient world, but it's not our world today. And let me just say this, if that was true, then you would have everyone in the ancient world believing on Jesus. And here's the question, why don't they believe on Jesus? You know, if that, that world was full of superstition, again, uh, uh, you, you would think everyone was. You know, and, and, and again, this is, why, this is why I love the Word of God, is because it opens up and examines the heart. It examines why unbelief exists. And unbelief exists. We'll try to come up with clever arguments. We'll try to say, this is the reason why I don't believe. This is the reason why I don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reason why unbelief exists in the heart is because I want something else other than Jesus. And think about it. If Jesus comes into my life, if I trust him, right? Not just as Savior, but as absolute Lord of my life, then life has to change. My priorities have to change. The direction that I am living has to change. And this is why people reject Jesus, is because there's a greater love. And I think a lot of times when we look at unbelief, even when we look at unbelief that happens to begin in our own life, we have to realize that. We have to realize that there is another lover in our lives. There's something else that I want above Jesus. And again, you can see this in verse number 17, because it says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. And notice the first word there. You know, those little conjunctions are so important, aren't they? Because but is what? It's a contrast, right? And so we see this amazement, right? We see these signs and these wonders being done. We see the gospel being preached. We saw, they don't even give a number in this chapter. You know, they've given 3,000, they've given 5,000, and then they don't even give a number because it's so great. All those who are coming to the Lord Jesus, and we just want to cheer. We just want to say, that's the way life is. And it's not that way because there is a but. There is this great rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ by this group. You know, it's led by the high priest. Now, let me just say, we don't know who the high priest was. It was either Caiaphas or Annas at this time. Uh, many times they would even alternate, uh, uh, given the title again, high priest. So we don't really know who the high priest is. It's one or the other. But they're joined by the Sadducees. And the reason why it has the Sadducees and it doesn't have the Sanhedrin there is because the majority of those who happen to sit on this council called the Sanhedrin happen to be Sadducees. Sadducees were a religious and a political party. When you talk about the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin are a religious and ruling um, uh, uh, party that happens to be again in Israel, right? They were over the people. They were over them, and here, the majority of those who made up this ruling and this religious uh, uh, group happened to be against Sadducees. And think of who the Sadducees were. The Sadducees of that day would be known as the theological liberals. They didn't believe in the resurrection. You know, there was going to be a general resurrection at the end. Uh, they didn't believe again in miracles. You know, and they didn't believe in all of that. In fact, they said uh, miracles in the Old Testament were just analogies of faith, much like liberals would say today. In other words, they're just given to us, they're written down for us to encourage us to trust um, uh, Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example, such as uh, Jonah being swallowed by a, a large fish. Now, that's, that's, that's too much for, for, for really intellectual people to really understand. But why is it given? It's given, again, to show us the ravages of sin. If you deny God, if you will not do his will, if you continue in sin, it's just like being swallowed by a large fish. 
You know, but if you repent of your sin, it's just like being vomited underground to dry land, if I can say it that way. You know, but that's the whole idea that happens behind there. These things really didn't happen, but they encourage us to follow God. They encourage us, again, to trust in him. And that was the Sadducees. So you can imagine their consternation. I mean, these men were wealthy. These men were well-educated at the best schools. And so you can imagine their consternation when all of a sudden, you know, here, right in Jerusalem, right in the capital, right in the center of Judaism, are all of these miracles taking place. You know, not only that, here are these men, and they commanded them not to preach in that name. Here they are preaching Jesus Christ, and they're preaching Jesus Christ alive from the grave, you know, of all things. And he can, I mean, it is amazing, isn't it? That Jesus showed himself alive for 50 days with all of these signs, with, with Excuse me, not 50 days. But, it, but he showed himself alive with all of these signs, all, all, all of these wonders. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, scores of people saw him. So much so that nobody ever argued that Jesus did not rise from the grave. And it's incredible that every single person that came to the apostles right here, even the shadow again of Peter lying on people, they were absolutely healed. Whether they happened to have a malady, whether they happened to have blindness, even if they happened to have an unclean spirit, they were healed of that suffering that happened to be in their life. So much so that everyone knew it. And we'd ask ourselves, Here, here's a theology again of Sadducees. Here's what we see happening. Now here's a question. How did they respond? Did they relook at their theology? Did they try to say, are we wrong? Did they try again to come up with the answers that happened to be again right there? Did they, did they look, 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 we want to believe, but that guy who happened to be again healed at the uh, Gate Beautiful, you know, that, that guy was lame since his birth for 40 years, we just can't find him. You know, we realize that he was right in the midst. You know, willing to be, what? Willing to be, again, interviewed. And think of it, it wasn't that the miracles were too spurious. You know, it wasn't that the apostles weren't available to be interrogated or talked to, again, are really discussed again on these issues. They did all of these things, not in private, but in public, in the public square. You know, so we look at that, and here we see this defiance that happened to begin right here. And, and the reason why I say that is because these were the most learned men of the day, said these things can't ha- happen. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because that's the kind of attitude of unbelief today. You know, look at all we can do as humanity. Look at how great we are. You know, we can put a telescope into the nighttime sky. Ever, ever see those images from the Hubble telescope? Somebody bought me a book once. Just unbelievable, the colors, the array that happened to begin in the nighttime sky. I mean, we can do that. Look at how great we are. We can take something as minute, something we can't even see, which is called DNA, and we can see it and strand it out, and we can, we can examine it. We can tell how our world operates. You know, the wonder of photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is basically plants. This is why plants are so important, because they take the carbon dioxide, which if we breathe in, we die. And it takes it in, and it breathes it in. And what they breathe out is oxygen. And it allows us again to uh, to live. And we figure that all out on our own. Look at how great we are. But here's the amazing thing about all that. All of that gives evidence that there is a God. 
when you look at the array, when you look at the patterns that happen to be in the nighttime sky, when you look again at all of these things, it doesn't speak again of billions of years. What it speaks of is a mighty creator, God. When you see the complexity of DAA, DNA, it speaks of a mighty creator, God. When you speak of all of these systems, there's no way that they could ever come into existence. It speaks again of a mighty creator, God. But here's the thing, you know, we're so smart. But have you ever asked yourself this question, look at all the things we've discovered, look at all the things we know. But have you ever asked your question, where did your sin come from last night? Where did it come from? You know, why do you feel embarrassed about your lie that you said? Why do you hide it? You know, if we're just DNA, why do we feel so guilty about lusting about that woman or lusting about that man last night? Why don't you tell your spouse? No, no begging. It's just chemicals. You know, where, where does that come from? Where does that rage come from, that anger that you don't want anybody else to know about? You know, why is it such a problem that happens to be in your life? If we are so bright and we have these things figured out, you know, where did that sin come from? How do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is wrong? It's so embarrassing. I don't want anybody to know. But there is somebody who knows. You know, it's incredible to look at this. Because so many people say the reason why I reject Jesus Christ is purely intellectual. And think of the premise. Because the premise, when somebody says it, and I've had people say that to me before. The premise is, if you believe on Jesus, you are at best naive and at worst a moron. That's basically what they're saying as far as your comprehension that happens begin right, right there. There's liberal theology right to a nutshell. In fact, there's liberalism right in a nutshell, isn't it? You know, and, and, and it's, it is amazing because when you look through history, when you look at the establishment of the educational system, you know who the educational system was established by? Anyone know? It begins with a C. It was established by Christians. You know, they looked during the uh, Industrial Revolution. There was all these young kids going in these mines and mining out coal so they could make all of these things. And they say, they ought to be educated. They ought to have a better life than this. It wasn't just that they could go off to seminary. We need to train these individuals. We need to school them. You know, there was a care. There was a concern that happened to be there. When you look at all the major universities, all of the older universities, they were all established to train professionals. You know, not just clergymen, right? They certainly did that. But doctors, lawyers, lawyers, professionals, that could help society in general that happened to be right there. They were smart and bright people. When you look at the hospital system, who do you think the hospital system was started by? Do you think it was started by secularists who believe in the survival of the fittest? <laughs> If you believe in that philosophy, let me tell you, the survival of the fittest in hospitals just do not make sense, does it? But it was started by those who cared, those who loved. You know, the greatest medical breakthroughs in the last 200 years have all been made by those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Brilliant people. You know, it's so easy to say, you know, I can't, I, I can't do it, but... But you have to be honest. 
What would faith in Jesus Christ, if you truly trusted Jesus Christ today, what would it mean in your life? What would it look like? What would you have to give up? Be honest about it. How would your life have to change? You see, for, for, the, uh, for the Sadducees, it's, it's basically this. We want reputation. We want to be noticed. We want stature that happened to begin in our life. And like I say, this is what I love about the Word of God, because the Word of God opens us up. It doesn't allow us to say these lies, to continue with these lies that happen to be in our life. But it tells us that many times we will not trust the Lord Jesus Christ because of the things that we love and the things that God detests. You know, John chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20 says it so aptly. It says this, and this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and people, what? Love the darkness rather than the light. There it is. It's a love affair with something. And why do they love it? Because their works were evil. Now, what's the trouble when your works are evil? Here it is. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light. And here it is. Lest his works should be exposed. You know, I just don't want to give this up. I do not want to give up whatever has a lordship over my life. And we have to be honest about these things. Because people love darkness rather than light. You know, and if you're rejecting Jesus Christ this morning, this is the very reason why you're rejecting Jesus Christ. You know, no one can exist and have two masters, right? We're going to love the one but reject and hate the other. And here's the amazing thing. In the midst of all of that, you know why God is showing that to you this morning? He's showing that this morning that you might see your lies. And this is what he's saying. If you will admit your sin, if you will turn from your sin this morning, he will welcome you through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice and forgive you again of all your iniquities and all of your sins and bring you into his eternal family family forever and ever. Now, I must say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's good news. (laughs) It's incredible news from our great God in the midst of unbelief, of rank unbelief. You know, so here's the question. These religious leaders, they've been shown that their theology, they've been shown that their belief system, they've been shown, again, what what they think is important in life has all been a sham, I mean, this is easy to see. The question becomes, what is their response? And that's that's what I really want us to see in this passage. And let's just read verses 17 and 18 and think of all of that that's going on now. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. And this is the thing to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt. This morning, again, as I preach this message, if you're listening to this message, there's going to be a response in your heart, isn't there? There is always a response. And when you look at this chapter, there's all kinds of responses, isn't there? There's the, again, idea of fear. There's the idea, again, of hypocrisy. There is awe in God. There is belief in God. And right here is probably the most surprising at all because it is a defiant anger against the God of all eternity. And when I say surprising, in a way it's shocking because we realize, again, the validity of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. 
But in a way, it's not surprising. Because of this, there will always be a response to whatever's guiding, whatever's ruling our hearts. You know, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, being a pastor, a lot of times I will have people come up to me and, and they'll say something like this. Uh, pastor Scott, can I talk to you? And I'll say, sure. And a lot of times they'll ask for an appointment. A lot of times they'll ask if they can talk to me right now. I, I can remember there was a gentleman outside that wanted to talk to me and he had this piece of paper with all these questions. There was about 30 of them all on there. And they were all objections to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and why Christianity couldn't be true. You know, and, and it's amazing because I have a friend uh, who uh, said that uh, uh, he had a relative that didn't want to talk to him because he didn't want to destroy his faith because he had all these questions that his pastor friend, that my pastor friend wouldn't be able to answer. You know, and I'm not trying to brag, but I have not got a question from an unbeliever that didn't have an answer to it. And most of them, again, are just apparent like that. They really are. You know, I'm sure there's some difficult questions, maybe some more difficult questions that happen to be there, but here's what you do. When somebody comes up and somebody has these questions, you answer them, don't you? One by one by one by one by one by one by one. And I must say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've had conversations like that, and some people have actually believed on the Lord Jesus. They've actually repented of their sins and trusted the Lord Jesus. Other people, and the vast majority of them, have just walked away. And here's the thing. I think a lot of times when we think people walk away, well, we say, well, they didn't respond. They responded. They rejected the message. They rejected Jesus Christ. You know, and this is exactly what is happening. This is exactly what's taking place here with the religious leaders because it says, when, but the high priest rose up. In other words, he took action at this time, right? But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, right? It was combined with him, combined again with these other liberal Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. You know, and think of it. I always find this fascinating. You know, these were the most learned, the most trained men that happened to be, again, in all Judaism. In other words, and I want you to get this, they knew the Old Testament better than anyone. And if they knew the Old Testament better than anyone, and they knew the apostles of Jesus were wrong, why didn't they talk to them? Why didn't they come where the disciples were and engage them? Do you, do you remember when Jesus came to Jerusalem last time? They, they tried that. What happened? Boom, boom, boom. Question, 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 question. Boom, 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 boom. But, but here's the amazing thing, you know, because we have to ask, why did they not debate them? And the reason why is they knew their theology was wrong. You know, they knew, again, what happened to be again inside of them was absolutely wrong as far, again, as all of this. Uh, so their tactics don't change. They take them, they arrest them, uh, they put them again in this common prison until the next morning. And think of what they want to do in the next morning, because I don't think we think about that. Why did they arrest them, and why did they throw them in prison? They threw them in prison so the next morning they could convene an official council of the Sanhedrin, and they condemn them to death as blasphemers, and have them taken out, like we'll see Stephen in a couple chapters, out of the community and pelted with stones until they're dead. You know, that's what they hoped happened. You know, at this time, their tactics hadn't changed. You know, we will squelch this movement no matter what they do, no matter what signs and wonders happen to be there. 
But the question we have to ask ourselves and really grapple with, what is driving these men? Is it care? Do they care about the people? You know, I know all these people are being healed, but they're following a false message. And we feel so bad. We feel, again, that they need to, to truly see the light, again, of who, the God that happens to be, again, of the Old Testament. Are they worried about the apostles that these Galilean fishermen have happened to be duped? Are they worrying about the glory of God? Oh, we want God to be glorified. We want God to be magnified. Again, God knows. And God is able to reveal what we cannot see. And he says the problem that happens to begin right here in the text, right here, happens to be jealousy. Right? Now, what's jealousy? Jealousy is a strong internal, right, emotion that looks on the outside. Here it is. And I see what somebody else has. And I view myself as more deserving of what they have than what I have at this time, than what they have. You know, and as it grows and grows and grows, here's jealousy. It's growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. What it breeds is anger, animosity, bitterness, and that will take action. Now, there is the right type of jealousy that happens to begin in the Word of God, and you always have to read the context, right? Our God is a jealous God. God's, God's not sinful, right? He's jealous of his glory. And let me tell you, we can be jealous of God's glory also. It's many times translated in the New Testament. Not, it's the same Greek word, but it's translated with zealousness. I have a zeal for Christ. I want him magnified. I want him glorified. But this jealousy doesn't have God as the focal point. It has self as the focal point, doesn't it? You know, so you look at that, and you ask yourself, well, what are they jealous of the disciples are for? I mean, these poor men. What are they jealous of? And really, it's one of the verses we read down in verse number 13, because it says, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people, and this is the key here, but the people held them in what? High esteem. Right? That's what they wanted. They wanted reputation, status. They had reputation. They had status. And here's all of these people, and they're looking at the apostles. They're looking at these followers. It's not that the followers of Jesus, it's not that the apostles had perfect life, but they looked at them. They looked at their truth. They looked at their worship, and they esteemed these men highly. And that's exactly what they wanted. You can see it again in verse number 14, it's because it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Can you imagine the popularity of these men? You know, can you imagine, you know, these group here that happen to be in Jerusalem, they used to sit at our feet and listen to us, and now they're over there listening to them. Why all those years of study? What's the use of all those letters behind my name? And you can imagine, they're preaching in that exact name that they were commanded not to preach, that exact name, that exact person. 
that they had executed. And I don't know if this is deep for you. I don't think there is, this is deep. I, I don't think it should be deep. But there is no, there is no humility in jealousy. There really isn't. You know, think of it. Because what's jealousy? It has a big self, right? Small God. It's driven by pride. This is what I deserve, right? I want this. I deserve this. And it's not driven by a big God, right? That's what humility does. Humility has a, has a big God, but it has a real small self. I see myself as insignificant. I don't see myself as worthy. Anything that the Lord gives me is an absolute grace in my life. But what's jealousy? It has a big self. And, and, and I find this passage, if it, wasn't so, if it wasn't so sad, it would be comical, wouldn't it? You know, here's the, no such thing as miracles. Right? Boom, 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 boom. Instant, 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 instant. No such thing as a resurrection. There's this guy walking all over Judea. You know, that's risen from the grave. Crucifixion of all things. After, you know, three days being in the grave. You know... Uh, Lazarus is probably still alive at this time. You know, you can imagine the frustration, right? Let's lock them up. Let's execute them in the morning, and let's be done in this. And what happens? And we'll see this next time. An angel. We don't believe in angels, by the way. An angel of the Lord lets them out in prison. Right? Where are they? Well, um, they're in the temple preaching in that name again. That name that we commanded not to preach in. And let me tell you, the passage would be comical in one sense if it wasn't so sad. You know, as far as their unbelief, you know, and their anger and their jealousy just increase. There's no thought of intellectual, again, a a debate. Uh, There's just a rage, and that rage is what is driving their human heart. Pride is driving their unbelief, unbelief, unbelief. This is what we want. This is what we want. This is what we want. And people will say, well, at least we don't imprison people today. <laughs> Look around in our world. You know, if you ever read um, uh, that magazine, uh, um, it's called The Martyrs. It's, it's amazing how many are being imprisoned today, you know, in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of why they're being put in jail. It's not because they're bad citizens. It's not because, again, all of a sudden they have these rank offenses against law. It's because they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they want that witness silence. But let me say, even though we do not hear in our third world countries, praise the Lord, put people in jail, that that same anger, that same bitterness, even that same jealousy is absolutely alive and well. About 50 or 60 years ago, there was a movement in academic circles Um, to really rid the world of religion. And it was driven by people called atheists. And atheist is just ah, a negative, right? Thea, theos, which happens to be God. So it's a person who doesn't believe in God. And they formed this little academy, this little group. And they said, we're going to write books. You know, here's all these uh, plebiscites. Here's all these common people. Here's all these non-intellectuals. And we're going to write these books. We're going to have these seminars, and we're going to show them beyond a shadow of a doubt how is it, how it is in, uh, intellectually suicide to believe in a god. And so they began having these seminars. They began writing these books, and it was an absolute bust. Here we are, 50 years later, 
and Christianity is still growing. And as this movement, you know, as it progressed, and it didn't grow, as it progressed, they became more and hostile, more hostile, not against religion, but against Christianity. And there was an anger, you know, even as they saw, again, uh, Bible-believing evangelicals. And please don't, don't misunderstand this. Bible-believing in evangelical churches, I want you to hear this, Bible-believing in evangelical churches are growing today. Liberal churches are dying. Right? They have no message. They have no hope. Right? Don't, don't buy into that. Right? But as they looked at this, their anger started to grow. You know, here are these men being praised. Here's Jesus being praised, and everyone is ignoring us. You know, I can remember reading um, an article in a book about Jesus and about God. And the author said this, and you could, you could sense the anger. When I write about Jesus, when I write about God, I put small case letters. I put a small g. I put a small j, and guess why? They don't exist. Let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you cannot be angry at a non-entity. Now, I'm going to ask all the little children to plug their ears for a, for a moment because I'm going to say something blasphemous, and it's this. Superman doesn't exist. Right? Superman doesn't exist. I have Superman in my notes here, and guess how I got it spelled with a capital what? S. You know, and I might be angry that, you know, here are these comic book writers, and, and, and I'm not, please don't get me wrong. I think um, nonfiction is a gift that happens to be again of God if it's done well. If it's done where there's a moral right and there's a moral wrong, please don't get me wrong. But I can be angry at the creators of Superman. But I cannot be angry at Superman. And you know why? Here it is. Superman does not exist. I'm so angry at God. I'm so angry at Jesus. Could it be when you look at an atheist, there's no true atheist? Could it be, again, when there's a denier of Jesus and his lordship? in all of this anger, in all of this frustration, that they truly believe in him. And what's driving them, we should have everyone following, believing in the message that we are saying. And look at everybody following Jesus. Could it be that the same attitude we have here in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, is alive and well today? If this is describing you this morning, I want to say, I want you to know who you're opposing. And you're not opposing your pastor. You're not opposing your parents. You're not opposing an ancient philosophy. You're opposing the great God that happened to be again of Scripture the great God of the universe, the great Savior and Lord. You know, you can see this because down in verse number 28, when they're um, uh, interrogating the disciples, they, they say in verse number 28, they're not even interrogating about these miracles, these signs and wonders and this theology. But this is what they say. We strictly charge you not to teach 
in this name. Now, here's a theological question. When do the Sanhedrin ever say the name Jesus in the book of Acts? Anybody know? Good. They cannot say the name because they hate him so much. It's always this, this name. You can hear the spewing, the anger, the frustration. It's not about intellectual superiority. It's not about, again, that they are right. And think of it, because I don't think a lot of people realize the message that they're opposed to. You know what the message that they were opposed to? The message that they're opposed to is John 3.16. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what they oppose. You know, and I think, again, as a people of God, and I can see this, especially in the political realm, the people of God are growing more frustrated, more frustrated, more angry, and more angry, and more angry, and more angry at the unbelief and the liberalism that happens to be again of our society. And let me say, I don't feel anger. I feel pity. I really do. You know, they're here they are, they're trying to say, I'm trying to give you life, and they're in slavery and shackles. You know, I love what Jesus said. Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came. Think of why Jesus came. I came that you may have what? And he's talking about it here and now. He's not just talking about it sweet by and by. That you may have life and have it abundantly. The most abundant life that you could ever live is as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me ask you this morning, as we come in to church, is this just drudgery? You know, are you thankful that you're a believer? Are you rejoicing in the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for you today? Because let me, let me tell you, if you're living in defiant anger with God, here's an amazing thing about our God. Think about how different he is than you. He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to bring you into his eternal home through simple, repentant faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. I beg you to come. I beg you to stop the lies and trust in him. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, I pray that if there's somebody in our congregation, somebody even who happens to be uh, strolling through the internet and has come across this message, Lord, and uh, has rejected you, has even mocked and scorned and ridiculed not only Jesus, but those who follow Jesus is somehow, Lord, duped, somehow intellectually um, uh, inferior. I just pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, that you would open up their hearts, that you would open up your lives. And, Lord, that 
as we believers in Lord Jesus, we're never going to be looked upon as intellectually superior. In fact, Lord, you've chosen the despised of this world. You've chosen, Lord, the things that are not. And Lord, recognizing this, recognizing that there is going to be scorn and ridicule, Lord, should prepare our hearts, Lord, for that preaching of the gospel. And yet in the midst of that, Lord, what is absolutely amazing is that you'll turn some hearts. You've chosen to do that. Lord, there's people in our society, even in our city right here, that are predestined to believe on Christ. God, I ask that that would encourage our hearts to be faithful, to be preaching, to make you known Jesus Christ, come what may. And we will give you all the glory that's due your name. We thank you so much in Christ's name. Amen. Brother. Thank you, Pastor. It's amazing to consider, after a message like that, the kindness of God that leads us to repent of our sins.